Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, my name is Neil Selwyn and in this episode of Meet the Education Researcher, I'm talking with Dr Emma Rowe. Emma is a senior lecturer at Deakin University, where her work explores the world of education markets, school choice and the fate of public schooling. Now, these are politically sensitive issues, and this is not the easiest area to be carrying out academic research. So I was really interested in hearing Emma's take on the marketisation of Australian schools, starting with what she saw as the big interests and concerns that drive her research. always been interested in the public schools, so I'm not that far out of my PhD really. I'm about four, four years out of my PhD. And something that's always driven me is this curiosity or interest in how the public school articulates with the market. Right. And often, I guess, um, in some ways, you know, the notions of the public school, it's, it's hyper fluid, you know. There's not really any key um, bit of the public school that actually marks it as public, so to speak. Um, but in another way, in another sort of um, interesting way is positioned in quite binary ways, the public school up against, you know, the private. Mm. It sometimes can be public versus private sort of, uh, sort of thing. So something that's always driven me is um, how the public school articulates um, with the market. And I guess what people associate me with, what they what people probably always pin on to me is school choice. Yeah. And I guess that's coming back from my publications as well. But I think school choice is a bit of a, it's a parlance for a lot of other sort of expressions. And that can be privatisation, that can be commercialisation, funding, you know, all those sorts of matters as well. And for me, it comes back to this, how is the public school articulating with the market? What are consumer points? What are conflict points? Um, some big conflict points, which I think are interesting, are um, social movements around public schooling. Mm. I've looked at the, the Chilean student movement, which has spanned over um, you know, several years. And, you know, they think they do things like they go dancing in the street to Michael Jackson's Thriller. They have pillow fights, you know, to, to express their, their unhappiness with the charter school movement in Chile and the profit-driven agendas in Chile around public schooling. Um, and also the opt-out movement in the US or um, the Save Our School movement as well that spans across, you know, so many different countries. But yeah, there are so many different conflict points around public education, mm. which I think um, are interesting and, and they drive, um, drive a, lot of, a lot of my research. And so one of the things that's often, you say it's parlance for different things, is, is this idea of neoliberalism and what people often refer to as neoliberalism. I mean, that's a very woolly concept and is often used really loosely. I mean, what do you mean by the term neoliberalism specifically? What does neoliberalism Ooh, mean to you? That's a good question, Neil. <laughs> I guess one of my pet peeves has been sort of re reading papers and feeling like it's really overused but, and, and used to relegate meaning to so many different things. So, you know, this is neoliberal. Um, the space is neoliberal or the, the building is neoliberal or the times are neoliberal or the reform is neoliberal. It basically can mean anything that we want it to mean. So um, th this has is, this is really, I guess, sat with me for a while. 
And I wanted to think of different ways that we can critique education reform um, without always reverting back to this, well, it's neoliberal. And part of this was I read a paper by uh, Julie Rowlands and Sean Raroli. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a fantastic paper and it got me thinking, okay, we really need to wrestle with this, this concept that we use and don't use it so liberally in terms of sprinkling it in sort of every single um, conversation we have about education reform and possibly think of ways that it unfolds in very different ways across different contexts. Um, so it, it is not such a lateral or shared meaning across every different context. Mm. And particularly if you're looking at like Chile and then you're looking at Australia. Yeah, yep. So David Harvey makes this case that um, that's, that's kind of neoliberalism, a, sort of a different example of neoliberalism, whereas um, Ong, she says, well, no, we can't say, oh, that's just kind of an exception. Why don't we see neoliberalism unfolding in lots of different ways depending on the context and the space um, that we have, that we see it? And that's, so coming back to this idea of space and place, I mean, really interested in this idea of markets as well. And you've talked about how kind of uh, markets are constructed in relation to their geographical and residential positionings. I'm, I'm just going to say from Melbourne, what does the school market in Melbourne look like? How is it playing out? <laughs> it's quite, it's highly privatised. Mm. Um, and, you know, we have, we have public schools that are very elite public schools and highly subscribed, highly competitive public schools. So to put them into this kind of blunt category of uh, social justice as automatically meaning they are you know, somehow linked to inclusion or access is, um, is fraught with, with difficulty. Uh, they are hardly inclusive or accessible. So there's, there's huge segregation in the public school sector, and that's not really new to say. Um, but it's important to continue to illuminate and sort of um, shine a light on, I think. Mm. I mean, one thing I wasn't expecting before coming to Australia was the kind of strength of the private school sector. I mean, it's a big sector, and the government yeah. actually give funding to the private, and that was a real shock to me. And it's divisive in, the, in a different way to the way it is in the UK. I mean, how's this come to be? Why are Australia's <laughs> got such a kind of unique private sector? Yeah, it does have a unique private sector, and I think maybe we don't acknowledge how robust it really is. Yeah. It is incredibly robust, and it's increasingly uh, growing stronger as well. And we're seeing our public school actually getting um, weakened or di diluted. So we have more select entry schools as well. We have independent public schools that are growing as well. So we, and we have the self-managing schools in Victoria um, trying to grow more autonomous. Not that I'm opposed to schools being autonomous or innovative, um, you know, it's complex because to link it to, to those to privatisation is sort of, it needs to be nuanced, uh, nuanced as well. But if we look at the private sector, if we sort of get away from that, just look at the private sector, yes, it, you know, it is, um, it is robust and particularly in the secondary school sector. Mm. What I've looked at is the, in the primary school sector, parents are actually turning away from private schools at a faster rate. The Catholic school is also having a bit of a decline as well, and I think that's probably linked to what's been going on socially, yeah, culturally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's having a decline. People are turning away from the primary school, but at the secondary school level, parents are increasingly choosing private schools. And, you know, that's probably linked to a whole lot of things like um, competition, parents being told that in order to get that leverage or to get that advantage, they need to choose these elite um, private schools. You know, parents uh, see a very significant gap 
between schools. So, and that to me is, is quite a problem. We should maintain very small gaps, differences between schools. Mm. So choice and competition sort of argues a different thing that, well, if you're, you're a good school, you should be innovative and be the best school you can be. And that's fantastic. But on the flip side, if there's this huge gap between schools, we're creating the school effect. And depending on the school you go to, it can affect your educational outcomes. Um, so that that is an equity issue that probably needs a lot more attention mm. in Australia. And so lots of your work when you're looking at equity, you do tend to focus on the education experiences of middle class families, which I find really interesting. And what is it about the middle classes and education that really demands our attention? I have in the past, yeah, I've, I've focused on middle class and that has... Um, that's pissed some people off, actually. You know, I've, I've had a bit of flack about, about that from, class people, I mean, <laughs> from members of the public really? have not liked me um, referring to them as middle class, even though I would refer to myself as middle class. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very broad. Um, and it's, I guess it's more of an analytical tool to, mm. to study um, choices. Middle class is broadly people who are educa- university educated uh, and professionally employed, you know. So I, I guess it's something that's drawn me to that is it rests has rested on a lot of other research around middle class school choice like Diane Ray or Stephen Ball mm. who have looked at middle class school choice. And it's really I guess school choice for the masses, where <laughs> where are the masses going? And how does school choice of the masses, I guess, affect um, affect those living in poverty or further entrench yeah, yeah. poverty and disadvantage? I mean, yeah, it certainly does. It's certainly, you know, by parents making those choices, you're further entrenching disadvantage, though, because it's actually a system, systemic, it's a product of the system. Yeah. It's yeah. not a product of the parents. Parents often come back to me and say, oh, you can't, you made me look really bad. You made me look like I'm a total snob who doesn't want to choose that school, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, because of the colour of people's skin or something like that. Um, it's not my intention to make parents look bad. I often say to them, you know, I'm doing exactly the same thing as you. I'm strategic with my own kids. I'll be choosing a school for them. I'll be joining in this kind of strategic behaviour as well. So I'm not standing above you and sort of trying to be judgmental. Mm. What I'm trying to point out is this system of competition. It drives us all into behaviour, but it's probably not that helpful for the broad majority. Well, I was going to say, I mean, these academic conceits are all very interesting, but as soon as you hit the public, you get pushback. And I'm yes. also, you talked about these issues to the press as well. I'm really interested about how these issues, I mean, do you encounter pushback from people with yes. vested interests in private <laughs> education? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get phone calls, I get emails. Um, you know, once I had this, this guy <laughs> create a page on his blog sort of dedicated to me, it was a bit creepy yeah, yeah. in a bad way. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't dedicated to me in a nice way. You like, oh, I really <laughs> like this person. <laughs> he posted a picture, of, a picture of me, which felt a bit invasive, and then my name, but then continued to refer to me as this woman uh, throughout his blog. So there's probably a lot going on there. Yeah. But he was a marketeer or a... He was very opposed to um, some suggestions I'd made about um, regulating funding from parents. Mm. So telling parents to... We should regulate how much parents contribute to public schools. That's been really contentious, that, that me saying that. And, um, yeah, it tends to... It's a funny one, actually. I think that's a, it's an interesting one, the pushback I get on that particular one yeah because people are very open to equity and they often will say to you oh yeah I absolutely agree everyone should have equitable opportunity we should support our public schools people often say those sorts of things but when you say look this school is getting you know six thousand dollars a year 
this school's getting $1,000 a year, I think we should do something about it. They will often say to you, look, let them, if they want to contribute six grand, good on them, good on the parents. Why is there this dissonance amongst the Australian public? Yes. So I've heard people argue I'm helping the public, the, the government school sector by sending my kid to a private school, yes. which is an interesting logic. It's an interesting logic as well. Yes, I'm saving money for the for the yeah. government. I'm not saving money at all. I'm, we're spending more money all the time on education, so I don't know where the save is, is yeah. coming from. So there is an odd kind of dissonance there about how people act and how people... It... Yeah, absolutely. I guess there's dissonance in a lot of areas too, like climate change and this is true. politics, isn't there? <laughs> now, I wanted to kind of bring the conversation back to, again to more academic things. I'm really interested in your use of theory and you've talked a little bit about David Harvey and space. I'm just interested in this idea of... You talked about geo-identity and the importance of place and space. I mean, how's Harvey helped you in your work? Yeah, I, I have been interested in David Harvey over the years. I've also been interested in Massey. I'm not religiously stuck to any particular theorist. I know some people have one or two mm. theorists and they have religious sort of fervour around them. I, I have been interested in Bourdieu as well. And lately I've been reading Karen Barad as well. So I'm a bit late to the party, I think, on Karen Barad. I'm <laughs> only starting to read now. Yeah, so geo-identity was thinking about... I was reading a lot of Diane Ray at the time and Mike Savage and soci sociologists and thinking... Uh, class identity and Savage makes this really nice argument about how the distinction that we get now in, in 21st century is not as as closely tied to our employment yeah. as it used to be. Um, employment's so fluid, you know, so much casualised labour but the space where we live, the spaces that we occupy, this really uh, shows our distinction. In the urban landscape, this is what elevates us yeah. to a level of distinction. And that, that really struck a chord with me. I really um, like the idea of it. And it also made me think about the spaces of schooling as well. So the, the schooling spaces are really critical, the actual um, physical spaces of schooling. All private schools have very, you know, fancy spaces. You've talked about this arms race where they're building castles and swimming pools. and you know. Yeah, it, it's, it's really important to their, to their image, to their marketing um, you know, how much do they spend on manicuring those lawns? Mm. Like, oh, a lot of money. And there's a reason behind that because the, spa the spatiality of schools and where we, the spaces that we occupy actually feed into our um, identity, feelings of distinct, distinction as well. Uh, you know, whereas spaces of poverty can actually undermine uh, our sense of self. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's one of my key arguments. I went to two different types of school. I went to Regent Christian Academy, which was exactly as it sounds, an academy where you had little Latin mottos and we memorised Bible verses every single day. And then I went to a public school, which all my previous friends said, oh, that's so rough. We're not allowed to socialise with you yeah, anymore yeah. now because you, you're in this, this public school. And it was, it was quite rough, to be fair. It was um, barbed wire fences and knife fights and fist fights and, you know, scared the heck out of me <laughs> at the time. But also the, the physical space struck me as incredibly, it was different. Yeah, the yeah. resourcing was really poor, you know, broken chairs, um, no resources in the classroom. And it really does impact on your sense of self to, 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 to a degree that you, you feel quite undermined. Um, in your learning space. And, and this is kind of a central or physical effect that 
maybe we could talk about a bit more the sensations on the body yeah so absolutely yeah. affect and then you've got materiality all of these yeah. things actually yeah. do come to bear they're not just theoretical yeah absolutely conceits. yeah and temporality as well um and Brad talks about this really nicely the space-time matterings you know um and so does David Harvey as well relative space absolute space those things I'm interested yeah. in so yeah. final question You've done a lot of work previously on private schools, middle class, you say, but your, your interests are moving on. So, I mean, in terms of the next five years, what's, what, what ideas are you playing with? What's cooking at the moment that you might be interested in, say, in five years' time? I'm interested in reforming of the public school as it kind of hinged on innovation as well. Okay, so yeah. kind of a driving force around the reforming of the public school at the moment is that it needs to be innovative. And innovative is incredibly broad. It's another of those buzzwords like yeah, neoliberalism. Yeah, it's such a, such a buzzword. Um, but structural reform of the public school, because the public school is supposedly really lagging behind, you know, it's slow, it's <laughs> pulled mm. down by all these bureaucratic sort of regulations. It needs to jump up and be innovative. So um, the structural reform is hinging on innovation. So I'm, I'm interested to think about that a bit more. And I think parents are expected to be more innovative as well. So I think that parents are expected to contribute to their school financially as well as their time in innovative ways. So I think that's something I'd like to yeah. look at a bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Watch this space. Well, thanks ever <laughs> yeah. so much for taking the time. It's genuinely fascinating work. Cool. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, Neil.